0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. On this week's pod, we are handicapping the late pick five from Belmont on Saturday, July 4th. This is show number 70, July 3rd, 2020. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, how's it going today? Going great.
1: I'm looking forward to tomorrow. A nice little barbecue barbecue. With the family and lots of great racing and we are going to talk about some of those races here in a few minutes
0: yeah i mean it's it's a stellar card uh, i haven't seen the victory ride yet i think it's a small field but the four stakes races we have are great and um <laughs> they're pretty wide open i think as well
1: yeah this should be a good discussion i'm really looking forward to it so on a somewhat uh, related but different topic, how are things going with Sport of Kings and all the activities trying to get that up and running?
0: Uh, Well, it's been pretty crazy because not only do we have to get the site ready, so we're in crunch time programming and testing, um, but we're also running this Indiegogo campaign where we've raised over 8000 and thank you to everyone who has contributed. The reason we need to raise money is because no large racing organization would fund this thing. I spoke with a number of them, and while they agreed that it would be good for the sport, none of them was prepared to make the investment to make it happen. Well, putting this thing together is very time-consuming and expensive, and you would think, hey, it's just a website, but it's actually... A pretty complicated website, so we're trying to raise fifteen thousand, but we need much more than that. And um, one of the reasons why this is happening is because I'm not getting paid, and I am just lucky to have some retirement savings to pull from, because you know I sold a business and uh, and and that and that was good, but it, it didn't make me rich. So I still have to work. And uh, uh, but I decided instead of getting a regular job, I would try this and see what happens. And so far, uh, the, the response is really good, and I think it will turn into something that I can actually make a living off of. And and I don't mean a lavish living, just you know, something that will actually pay the bills and provide free contests and free PPS for um, for everybody who wants it.
1: Which I think is a very admirable goal and something that makes a lot of sense that players should gravitate towards and appreciate. And also, like you said, it's so you're looking at this as also a way to educate new players and get them excited about playing and help grow the sport, which I think benefits the current players and, you know, all the industry stakeholders. So, I mean, there, this is, instead of just whining about how, racing is dying or, you know, we, or we're not attracting new fans, you know, you're out there trying to do something to bring new fans in and also make it more enjoyable for the current fans that are already playing the game. So, I mean, something that's easy to get behind if you're a racing fan and a horse player.
0: Yeah. I mean, think about for me, I think about the, all the people who come to my Kentucky Derby party and some of them bet And they don't bet much. They bet like five bucks. They bet 20 maybe, um, two. And that's only a small percentage of them. But those people might enjoy playing free contests and learning more about handicapping. And I want to give them the opportunity to become fans so that around Belmont Stakes time, I don't have to offer them free seats to the Belmont Stakes because they're very expensive. But they'll say, "Hey, I'm paying this year because i I love this game so much. So we'll see what happens with them.
1: So what can can you maybe spend t- tell a little bit more about the site? I know that you'll have contests a little bit more about you know what makes this different maybe from other contest sites other than the fact that it's it's all free or maybe different from public handicapper and also what you have beyond just the contest to try to educate and attract new fans.
0: Ooh, uh, (laughs) well, I wasn't ready for a whole pod about this. Um, there's, there's a, there's a lot to talk about, but I will say that, uh, one of the things that will be featured is a repository of, information um, tutorials how to read the racing form how to how to read pps in general um, and then and and also how to get better because anybody who plays this game the one thing they want to do is get better i mean it's not the one thing they want to do there's there's a lot of things they want to do but i i can't i can't name a single horse player that doesn't want to get better at what they're doing so so that will fan education will be a major part of it and I, I I will say that there won't be much of that when we un uh, unveil it on August 1st because we're just trying to get the thing to work right now. And and it's going to work. It's it's fine, but we're just trying to get it to work smoothly and then we'll be able to add tutorials and stuff like that later.
1: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. You got to you want to get the the core contest part working first. Um so that makes perfect sense. Um, of course, you'll also have links to things like the Sport of King's podcast, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the of King podcast will be part of um, Sport of Kings, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting because Public Handicapper, when we were on Public Handicapper, and 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 there was a link every week to the Public Handicapper pod, we got anywhere from like three to five hundred listens, and now we get at minimum 500, even after public handicapper went dead. So so we've been gaining some listenership and people like what they hear. And hopefully they will like what they hear today because we have a special guest. He's the radio broadcast pioneer of horse racing's time. His show is the industry go-to place for the inside scoop on track and horse scuttlebutt. He's a fine handicapper as well. He's Steve Bick. Steve, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, Scott, uh, Chris, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Steve, uh, we, we always ask our guests a few questions. And I just wanted to ask you a couple. Uh, the first one is uh, I listened to the JK Plus One show, which I think came out last week. And uh, it was like a two hours, two hours and 20 minutes of you, which is great. Combined with you being on this show, it made me wonder, like how does it feel to be on the other side of the mic?
2: It's enjoyable. to me, any conversation about about the sport, anything relating to the to the game is you know is pleasant. Sorry. Uh, that was Rick Hammerly uh, calling. Anything about the game is very pleasant, and I, I just enjoy the you know the the interaction. And it never, you know, it never feels whether I'm being asked or, you know, whether I'm asking it, it, everything feels like a conversation, like you'd have, you know, any afternoon at the racetrack. And that's, that's kind of my, my approach and, and really, you know, the way, you know, the way I, I think I enjoy the game, the way that I do is, I mean, I'm constantly curious about so many parts of it and I assume that the people that I'm either talking to or that are listening that they have that same curiosity. Uh, and that's you know that's part of the game's appeal. You're always learning.
0: Yeah, I, I have to admit that the podcast every Friday is kind of the highlight of my handicapping week because we get to have these conversations and it's really fun and I always learn something as well. Uh, the other question I want to ask you is: uh, I'm not familiar with what your handicapping methodology is. Are you like a, a, a racing form guy, sheets, uh, pace, class? What, 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 what? How's your approach to handicapping a race?
2: I'm a speed. I'm a speed handicapper, and uh, that was, you know, by virtue of of being an Andy buyer, reader, uh, and and being introduced to. You know, the majority of, of handicapping approach via Andy's books, uh, betting thoroughbreds as well, uh, the late Steve Davidowitz. And I, I actually only became more of a, of a speed handicapper when I got familiar with Thorograph and, and, you know, became, uh, friendly actually, and, and started to work with the people at Thorograph. Uh, so I, I, speed is always my, my go-to approach. Uh, I am a, a DRF user formulator and the DRF PPs, uh, it, it's a comfort zone and a, and a familiarity, you know, level, uh, kind of thing. Uh, I've, I've certainly incorporated more pace elements into decision-making and, and in terms of, of, you know, drilling down and, and building tickets, uh, and, you know being aware of horses that that might benefit from a slower fast pace uh that wouldn't necessarily be in, in a speed handicapper's right away on on their on their radar screen uh so you know i have tried to add anything that you know that makes you a better player anything that uh you know goes toward picking more winners and you know putting uh, horses on tickets that that help you win. And I, I, from a betting standpoint, you know, the, the question always is, you know, what, what's your, you know, what's your approach, but from a betting standpoint, I'm somebody that that would much prefer to bet a little to win a lot. And I I, I'm actually, you know, grappling right now with the proliferation of the pick fives and the, the low takeout pick fives, uh, trying to either convince myself or at least have the conversation and we did it a quite a bit this week on the show about spending more to be in best position to win some of these really outlandish pick fives that uh, you look at what went on at Canterbury this week, 21,000, 85,000, 97,000. I, I, it's been unbelievable. Indiana with their 11.9% pick five, 5,000, 3,000, 4,000, 2,000 so instead of spending 24 36 72 dollars on, on a pick 5 ticket and i'm seeing lots of people that are spending you know twice or three times that and they're hitting and, and i mean if i if i take that kind of leverage with the with the bankroll uh, i mean it would be abandoning something of a philosophy but if it puts you in the position to win those kinds of pots well uh, it's probably worth it, or at least worth trying. So uh, you know you're always learning, but my basic methodology really hasn't changed in, gosh, and since the late '80s.
0: All right. Well, I haven't, uh, I haven't really mastered the pick five myself. I have to admit, even though I uh, pick some great long shots over the course of a sequence, putting it all together has been difficult for me. Um, Maybe Chris can elucidate on that and also ask you any questions he might have.
1: Well, we could have a long discussion just on the whole risk-reward aspects of wagering and how you try to balance those two based on what your objectives are and what your appetite is for risk and what your resources are in terms of bankroll. Yeah. I mean, all those things have to factor into those decisions, and that can shift over time and even from day to day. Um, so I, I do think it's something that's underappreciated by many players, the whole wagering side of things. So I'm glad you brought that up, Steve. Um, and, you know, pick five is just one example of all the sorts of decisions you need to make beyond just the handicapping. So um, I, that's about all I'll say. Now, I did write a blog piece on the In the Money uh, website that Pete Fortintel and Jonathan Kenshin have on this topic. I kind of went into some detail about it. Not necessarily how you structure tickets, but just how you balance risk versus reward and kind of have a better understanding of what your preferences and styles are as a horse player and use that to try to maximize um, your success, both wagering and in contest play. So People are interested. I can tweet out the link to that article, but um, that's a really interesting discussion you can have. And probably we should have more discussions on the wagering side uh, than we do, and on podcasts and telecasts for racing and on your show. So it's I'll have to listen in. I haven't been able to catch any of the the um, you know interviews this week. I always try to listen to a few every week and. Now that I hear that you talked about on the pick five and wagering, I'll definitely listen in on that. I do have one question though. You're kind of in this unique position where on a daily basis, you're hearing from top trainers and jockeys and owners, you're getting all this information. It's sort of like, you know, being on the backside of every big track in the country all week long. How do you factor all that information into your handicapping? Because that could be a curse or it could be a blessing. So I'm just curious how you, manage all that additional information you get into your handicapping.
2: I don't necessarily think of it as as additional information. I mean, it, it, for me it's it's not it's not all that different from you know reading uh, you know the national turf uh, Andy Harrington's clocker reports or Mike Welsh and the DRF teams clocker reports and and factoring in, you know, a tidbit. There is and and it's a source of, of sometimes of frustration. There is the difficulty of being able to keep tabs on what I'm hearing. I mean, if it's, if it's being discussed on air, I can try to write notes down or horse names. I'll give you a a good example. Brian Lynch was on a couple of weeks ago and, and Lynch delved into his two-year-olds and some of the late developing three-year-olds that he's got, uh, some of the horses that are now four-year-olds that haven't been back yet for a seasonal debut. And he, he literally laid out maybe 14 horses. And, and I was, I managed to get a lot of the names down. In fact, I even tweeted out, you know, I said, for those of you that, you know, couldn't get, you know, all of the horses listed that, that Brian brought up, I, I laid it out for them, but invariably, when I ask when I ask horsemen about upcoming starters and horses that uh, are in the barn that you know are on the, a development curve, maybe a two year old, you know, if it's early, like it's now in the summer, uh, and horses that are going to debut over the next you know three to six months, it, it can get very tough to to remember them all, and and, it, and so then when they show up and the listeners cash and i'll see i'll either get an email or i'll see a tweet you know this is you know, so and so uh you know so and so hit uh you know whatever whatever starter and i i had forgotten about the horse and i'll i'll you know it, it, that, that's a wince inducing moment you know especially if they're if they're a price uh, but you know it it's it's really just a question of you know adding in you know, little things about horses that uh, you know you file away just like just like you do when you're reading you know articles in DRF and and various you know the various sources of information the the, the more the more annoying <laughs> element, is that that has happened over over the last 25 years is becoming very friendly with either trainers or more frequently with owners and you know then having affection for their horses or being you know being supportive of their horses and there's the moments when you know you you obviously can't bet everyone and you also can't incorporate them into all your handicapping. And so, you know, sometimes you'll come across a horse from a friend and you're like, I I, uh, I can't say anything. You don't want to say something bad, but you, you can't say anything nice either. So it's a, it, that's a funny situation. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's people, you know, who I bet because if their horse were to win, I, I would feel terrible if, if I didn't have money on it or if I didn't have them in a sequence. So there are horses, Live Oak particularly, Mrs. Weber. Uh, I, I find myself uh, always having to include uh, <laughs> Mrs. Weber's horses.
1: Well, you definitely will have the challenge of, uh, you, you definitely get a lot of information and probably you get some off off air as well. So um, I, that's always a challenge, you, you know, to take in all this different information that's the handicapping challenge how much do you want to take in and how do you factor it all into a final opinion exactly so exactly and so now we get to test it on some races here um so i'll turn it over to scott and get us going on this uh, belmont pick five for yeah
0: hopefully uh hopefully you have received some actionable information this week Hmm. we're doing we are doing the late pick five from Belmont on July 4th, starting with the seventh race, which is the only race that's not a stakes race. It is an allowance, a mile and a sixteenth on the inner turf, purse of 56000 for three-year-olds and up New York breads. And Steve is our guest. Why don't you get us started?
2: Anybody that, that listens uh, and, and has followed me at all for any period of time knows that the state bread allowance level is is absolutely one of the the best divisions really anywhere. You, you get prices in, in this arena so often. And particularly at Saratoga, I, I, I love when we get the opportunity to, you know, to bet prices in the state bread allowance turf races, this particular group, however, it seems to have a, a very straightforward concept, and that is uh, Dan Fusi, the uh, the Clement uh, four to one shot. I, I I think he's got absolute controlling speed in here, and I I don't know who is going to go, you know, reel him in or or even really challenge. I, I, I especially Rosario, who's so good. I don't you know, I think we all think of of Joel as somebody that comes from off the pace, but Joel is terrific on on horses with speed. And, you know, you look back at that maiden breaker uh in June. I, I just I thought Dan Fusey is is gonna control this. Uh Steelers fan for life, you know, might provide you know a little bit of a pace challenge. Uh, but I I I'm very much uh, a strong A uh, with Dan Fusey. You know the horses on the inside, jack the cat and and point him out. Uh, they're probably Bs uh, on on my tickets, uh, and I thought that uh, I thought maybe maybe bad guy uh, Rudy Rodriguez. I might uh, I might make bad guy a a B or a or a strong C something. Uh, but uh, Dan Fusey, to me is is your most likely winner. All
0: right. Well, I I would agree that Dan Fusey has to be used. Chris, what do you think? Well,
1: I do concur with Steve that from a tactical pace standpoint, it does seem like Dan Fusey really has an advantage and will be the one they have to reel in late. I actually am pretty high on the two-horse point him out. In these sort of races, I'm always thinking upside first, and he's he's only had two starts, and his... You know, most recent one was really good, and I think he could certainly improve off that, and he really doesn't need that. That last race is probably good enough to win this, a repeat of that, and I think he could improve off of that. He does draw a good post on a race where they sort of start at the beginning of the turn, so having an inside post, I think, is somewhat of an advantage given where the race starts. And, um, you know, he has some tactical speed. I don't think he'll be far back like some of the other contenders in here. So not a great price at seven to two, but I think point him out is probably the most likely winner. Also gets in light. Um, He's getting weight, like six pounds from Dan Fusey. So uh, that's the, to me, the most likely winner. I think you have to use Dan Fusey. And then the other horse, I think the pace works against it, but where you might get a price in here would be the five horse, Joe's Bold Cat, who really is very consistent. Caught a yielding track on its comeback race um, as you know as a six year old. So I wouldn't put too much stock in that. But really, never runs a bad race. Just consistently pounds out um, pretty good races. But it comes from way back, so I don't know if I'd play it to win. But it's the kind that could hit the exact or try at a price. So for me, uh, point him out is probably the most likely winner. Dan Fusey is definitely a contender from a pace standpoint. And then maybe Joe's Bolt Cat as a um, kind of a clunk up second or third place horse at a price. That's the way I see this one.
0: Well, I'm I'm happy to say that we uh, all agree on the uses in this race. Uh, The question is which one to pick on top. I went with Joe's bold cat as the one on top, just because he is consistently fast, and this is a second-off layoff, and the trainer does well with that. But the pri- the horse could go off at a price, um, and the reason is because w- one, what Chris just said about clearly being at a disadvantage on the pace side, but but also he's 0 for nine at Belmont and one for fifteen at the distance. So a lot of people who are in the pick five. They're not going to play this horse because he just doesn't win that often. But then that time that you don't bet him, he comes in and he wins and blows you out of the pick four, uh, the pick five. And you went four deep in this race and you still didn't have Joe's cat. So I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> and I think he is going to be a nice price. So so that's my top pick. Uh, another pretty strong, my official second pick is Jack the cat. The one horse, uh, he ran two big races at Tampa, reacted, and now has had some time to recover. Nice inside post says he can ramble, and maybe we'll get higher in the four to one. I would imagine that Dan Fusey is going to get played quite a bit, but I would absolutely use Dan Fusey and point him out, your two picks. And I would maybe, I'm borderline on Jimmy Jazz, who has always been slow, but shows, uh, you know, a second off a layoff and it was uh, just a hair off his best and it's entirely possible that he could pop. So if I can go that deep, I'm going to try.
1: Nice. Anything you want to add, Steve? Jump
2: in. Not, not really. Joe, uh, Joe's bold cats happens to be a, a, a horse that I, I certainly have, have bet. And, and I like the fact, uh, like the fact that you, you both, you know see uh, the the value in here and second off the layoff kelly rubley does a good job uh, you go back to that that win uh, in october at laurel against open company uh, that that would stand up pretty nicely in here too. So, uh, th- that's a horse. I mean, look at, look at the prices too. I mean, it, it, Joe's bold cat is never, a f- never favored, you know, is, is very frequently third, fourth, fifth choice. And, uh, you know, a very useful New York bread. It's One of the, one of the kinds of horses that you like, uh, as, a, as a New York bread owner that, you know, like, look at look at what uh, you got out of this. You know, I we happen to have a courageous cat, Minute Mouse. In fact, she she ran the other day, and uh, the courageous cats they 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 stay sound. Uh, they they get better as they age. Uh, they're durable, versatile. Uh, the, the nothing nothing wrong with nothing wrong with that uh, that choice uh, of Joe's bold
1: cat. Yeah, the only thing I would add is I agree that one horse, Jack the Cat, is probably one you need to use on the rail with numbers that fit. Uh, The last race wasn't great, um, first race back in New York, but if it can run back to what it was doing at Tampa and gets a good trip, it definitely could win.
0: All right, well, we'll uh, tidy up that race and put it away and move on to the eighth race, which is the Poker Stakes, a grade three, one mile in turf. Purse of 150000 for four-year-olds in the up. And Chris, we'll let you get started on this one.
1: Well, there's two horses that interest me in here. The first one, um, last week on the pod, I was actually touting God Stormy as the horse to play against Newspaper of Record and uni. And either one of those would be the favorite in here, I'm sure, if they were entered. So I almost have to pick God Stormy in this race. Um, I mean, her best races are just better than this field. She hasn't been running her best recently, but she hasn't been running that poorly. And if you look at her form, one thing that's really interesting is it's kind of clear that she's just better at a mile. And when you go beyond a mile, she's not as good. I mean, her five starts at over a mile. She's over five and she's never been in the exacta. And if you go back and look at her races at a a mile on firm going, throw out the yielding race that she had a poor one in. And I think she's won about seven out of 12 with 11 out of the 12 in the exactus. So she's a miler. Uh, Her last race, she got a little tired chasing rushing fall um, on a fast pace. Now she cuts back to a mile. There's not a lot of pace in here. I think the one horse dream friend, is really the clear speed and she should be able to get a nice, perfect stocking trip just off of dream friend. And if she's anything like she has been in her best races, she should just, you know, surge to the front and then hold off the closer. So to me, you you know, seven to two is pretty good price in here. um, If you get that, and this might be the time you do, because I think people are ready to jump off the got stormy bandwagon, and um, so this might be the time to play her. She's at a distance, she's at a track where she's run well. Um, just a lot of pluses. The she, you know, she may get bet, I don't know, but you got these Chad Brown horses in here. and, and, and this is a race where I think the Chad Brown horses just aren't that good. And you know they'll get over bet. So you might actually get something close to that morning line. Certainly in the pick five, to me, she's a logical A. The other horse that interests me is another one I think I talked about the last time he ran on the on in that seismic wave. That race was clearly a prep uh 7 furlongs. Now he goes second off a layoff for Bill Mott. And this horse, is another one I think is they tried to stretch him out last year because there were some big money races that they chased. But I think he's just what just a natural turf miler who um really can put that first to speed out on the last quarter and he gets ro- back with rosario who's probably as good as there is at you know closing on a horse on the turf especially in new york um and he's eight to one on the morning line and you might get that with god stormy and the chad browns and and some other horses in here so to me in the pick five i, I really like god stormy and i also like seismic Wave. those are the two that i would go with and um I'll toss it out to Steve and Scott and see what they think.
0: I'd be shocked if God was seven to two, but you know, David Aragona has spent the time on this morning line and he, he's probably analyzed how much money they're all going to take. And, uh, if she is seven to two unload the truck, Steve, what did you think?
2: I'm not so sure she'll be seven to two. Not off the not off the current form. Uh, she she really has has not uh, run back to her form from a year ago. And I, I think you know there's legitimate questions about whether she's the the same mayor that she was. Uh, last year. And last year I really latched, I've, I've been a fan of hers and I'm actually, you talk about, you talk about, uh, connections that you get friendly with very friendly with Gary Barber. And, uh, she's a favorite and did very well with her last summer and, and into the fall. Uh, I, I, am a little, I'm a little unnerved by, you know, by the most recent efforts. I mean, she certainly ran fine in the, in the kill row, uh, th- that, re- that, that effort in the bogey was alarming and she is a horse that uh, that seems to thrive on work so maybe you know the time off between march and, and june worked against her uh, but i i'm i'm a little i'm a little uh, worried that that she's not the same uh, at 5 as, as she was at 4 uh, this will you know this is certainly a spot that that uh, barber and and cassie are expressing confidence and you know, the the fact that uh, Cassie said last week when he came out, when he came out of uh, what was it last week? The 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 New York, I think it was or the Justin game,
0: the just it was against game. males.
2: Yeah, uh, well, well no, it was no, just the, no, 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 just it was against uh, just, it was, tougher the just, just tougher
0: competition. Yeah. Just
2: game. That wasn't a question. Of the, I, the, I, the competition, there was I think there were some other things that that Cassie had, had cited. But anyway, I, I, I don't know what to do about her. Uh, I certainly won't. I certainly won't let her beat me because uh, I'm too much of a too much of a fan. Uh, I, not sure why you'd be against value proposition in here. Uh, that return, the four year old debut, was outstanding, and I I really sense that that he is you know the next you know the next Chad star uh, coming back here. I don't see how value proposition isn't isn't way the horse to beat, and I'll, I'm going to put everything through him. Seismic Wave, I respect uh, and and certainly can win, uh, but I'm not as high on valid point as as on on value proposition. Although Chad Brown bringing these horses back, either from two to three or from three to four, that time off uh, he. You know, it seems to just get them completely perfect. Gets them dialed in. They're always ready to run uh, an A race when they come back. So I suppose valid point is eligible. Uh, and if he if he runs, if he can improve off of his three year old form, he's a contender. Uh, but of the two, I certainly prefer value proposition. Uh, Seismic wave got stormy. Uh, maybe a little. Maybe a little dream friend. Just because. You know, you're in that situation where uh, you've got a a turf course in New York that is rock hard. There is some rain uh, today, perhaps, and overnight that might help things. But, you know, that turf course right now is giving it up to speed. So you got to be a little cognizant of of horses that that might, you know, get to the front and and not look back. I mean, that that was our conversation point around Dan Fusey in the seventh. Uh, And there really, you know, there there really isn't obvious pace pressure uh for dream friend uh to face so uh, i I, i'll make it i'll make it uh, nine four seven one in the poker
0: okay the the reason cassie scratched last week two reasons um yeah the reason he scratched is because it was a yielding course so i that was the main thing um and he also used as an excuse, and I'm not saying it wasn't an excuse, but um, her reason for her bad race against Rushing Fall was that she was too close to the pace. Yeah, great. And and she's running uh, faster fracks, uh faster time form early pace ratings than she ever ran in that race. Uh, and she also bobbled at the start, which to me, I wa- I watched the race, and I, it's hard to quantify when a horse bumps another horse at the at the start of a race or bobbles, stumbles. It's really hard to quantify. Like how much is that affecting the horse? But I think that bobble was pretty significant. So uh, everybody can make their own judgment, you know, in and you can you can look at the head-on replay. You can look at it in formulator. You can also look at it on, you know, any ADW. And so I, I think the, the horse doesn't include, but uh, I also think – that value proposition doesn't include. So, so we're I'm, I'm, I'm good with both of your picks. I'm going to pick a couple of long shots. and But saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it as I, I, I think Seismic Wave, Got Stormy, and value proposition are all uses, simple as that. But my top pick is going to be a price horse, and that is Hawkish. He's third off a layoff. He had talent as a three-year-old. I haven't watched his last two races yet, so I don't. I may change my mind on him, but he won the Grade Two Penn Mile as a three-year-old as the favorite, and he just matched that number on the sheets. His uh, clearly there were some issues with him because he was off for so long, and uh, I've been following one of his owners, Justin the Nick, Justin Nicholson, um, and he's he's been saying like, okay, we're gonna need one, and and hey, we're making progress, and. I don't know if he's going to tweet out like today's the day. I don't know, but I I love, I love third off a layoff for an older turf horse. And the, the only hesitation I might have is that he may need one more race before he runs big, but, but he reminds me of Hunter Riley, who's a a nice price horse. I picked on the pod who was sort of returning to form as an older horse as well. So that's my top pick, And the, the second pick, you know, understanding that I would have t- totally used seismic wave, Got Stormy, and value proposition is Dream Friend. Uh, that absolute pace advantage always runs good on the turf. Ha- has improved every race, you know, or just not regressed. And um, Mark Cassie did say that they're going to take Got Stormy back. Now I know she's fast enough that she still might be rating, and that doesn't mean she's going to run too far back, but like she was the most pace pressure that dream friend was going to have. And, and he squarely blames her last bad effort on her being too close to the pace. So, so I think dream friend could possibly run away with it. And the morning line's a little low eight to one, but maybe he does go off that low. She, no, he, it's confusing when there's a, a, a filly in the race, but, um, so I would I would absolutely use those two and uh, and and the three that I mentioned before.
1: So a couple things I just want to follow up with. Um, one on Dream I agree that um, if God Stormy is the one to put pressure on, and if they're very patient with God Stormy, then Dream Friend could be very dangerous because there really is no other horse in the race to go with him early. So. I think you almost have to include him at least as like a B horse. If you're playing the pick five, just because of that tactical edge. Um, and, you know, being on the rail trip all the way around, that, that's a big advantage. So I'm with you there. Uh, just a couple things i got stormy. There is a rider switch to Velasquez and, and the last time he rode her, she won at Belmont. And again, you know, I, 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 want to emphasize that last race was at a mile and a 16th and i just think that that extra 16th of a mile always gets to got stormy and she's over five at over a mile and never even been in the exactus so the fact she chased a hot pace and got tired going a mile and sixteenth, i don't think is necessary And, and and like scott said didn't have a great start i don't think that necessarily tells you she's not the same horse she was before and if you look at her time form us figures they are not that much slower than she was running last year she just didn't get the right setup at the right distance and um you know her other bad race this year was at a mile and a 16th um and she does like firm going so um i i just really think god stormy is the horse to beat in here so i won't say anything about that um and i do scott and i have talked about hawkish before i kind of agree with scott i'm not sure how good he can be but I certainly think he could he could hit the the you know the exactor trifecta. I don't know if he can win, but I do think he'll run an improved race over what he's been running um recently. Steve, do you have anything else to add?
2: No, not really. Uh you know, other than other than that, Jimmy Toner's one of my favorite horsemen. Uh and You know, that family, obviously, uh, you're talking about uh, Jimmy has handled virtually every son and daughter out of out of all of those memories, mares. And uh, uh, he's gotten the most out of that family that any I think uh, other than Shug, I can't think of somebody who's who's had, you know, generation after generation uh, the way Jimmy has with that family. And, uh, Jimmy does uh, just does a, a great job. If he's got the horse, uh, he'll have him. he'll have him ready. And I, I, I like hawkish, but, uh, not necessarily tomorrow.
0: All right. Well, we'll move on to the ninth race. It's the run happy M- <laughs> metropolitan handicap met mile grade one. It's a mile on the dirt purse of 500,000 for three-year-olds and up and steve where did you land here
2: now first of all th- this continues every year to be one of the highlights of of the racing calendar and, and not just in new york anywhere uh, this race never disappoints it elevates the participants. And as we've seen the last couple of years, I mean, there was such anticipation uh, a year ago, and then we ended up getting that, that terrific performance from Matoli with McKinsey, you know, getting the traffic issue. And and that actually ended up prompting debate that (laughs) literally takes us to today uh, and, and into McKinsey's effort tomorrow. Uh, This race, this race has, you know, a fairly, a fairly clear, set of conditions. And, and that is that if, if Vacoma continues to, to run the races that he he has so far this year, the performance down in Florida uh, and then the Carter uh, and, and also, you know, stretching it out to, uh, you know, another eighth of a mile, uh, from the, the Carter's seven eighths distance Vacoma will be very tough to beat. He he's not a horse that needs the lead. Uh, he, he can attend the pace, uh, if, the no pace materializes, uh, he'll be happy to, you know, to set the pace. So uh, Javier Castellano has got all kinds of tactical potentials that Vacoma can can deal with. Uh, pace wise, it it sure feels like. Endorsed and and Mister Freeze are are where your principal pace is going to come from, and McKinsey won't be too far off of it. He, he he really almost never is too far out of any pace. Uh, you know, Mister Freeze has got a, a, a real puncher's chance in here at at a square price. Uh, endorsed off the last effort. If he runs back to the Westchester, he's he's dangerous. Uh, cutting back a sixteenth, you know, can't hurt. Uh, but really, to me, there, there's two major players, and, and it's Vacoma, and it's Code of Honor. Uh, you know, Code of Honor, without looking his best, uh, you know, won that Westchester, preparing for this, and you'd have to expect that he he even moves forward off of it. So, Code of Honor you know, sits nice outside stalking trip with Johnny, and if Vacoma doesn't, doesn't win. feels like code of honor, you know, gets to him late. Uh, after that, I think you're, I think you're dealing with some horses that are going to have to answer some questions, including McKinsey, who looked okay in his return to North America after a disastrous trip to Saudi Arabia. I I, I can tell you, I, I was in, I was in California before they left. And we talked with Baffert about, McKinsey and, and Bafford was excited because the Saudi Cup was a one-turn mile and an eighth. And he figured McKinsey would be absolutely devastating under that scenario. And he was awful. And I mean, there's no excuse. There's no there was no post-race uh, explanation. And then that that just okay effort winning the triple bend against you know some arguably some inferior foes. he's going to have to return to one of his a races, uh, to impact this. I mean, I'm a fan. I, 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 you know, think about going back to Derby and, and, you know, being, being behind him then, but I, I, I'm hard pressed to, I'm hard pressed to, you know, put a circle around him. To me, it's code of honor and Vacoma.
0: All right. Well, um, I, this'll be interesting because now we have a divergence of opinions, but we'll let Chris get his edge in his word in edgewise next. What do you think, Chris?
1: Well, I agree with Steve that this is always a fun race. I think these miles, especially a one-turn mile is a great distance because it's short enough to pull in sprinters and it's long enough to, to pull the middle distance horses that cut back a little what makes this unusual um, is that it didn't attract any you know, real speedster sprinters. You don't have a Metoli or a Promises Fulfilled or a private zone in here to really cook up the early pace like you typically do in the Met. And this is also a stallion-making race, so owners, trainers really like to win it. But that that lack of the total burner in this race makes me think, uh it's not as predictable in terms of the pace it does to me though i disagree with steve a bit i think warrior's charge is clearly the horse that's going to the front in here he doesn't have the speed
2: he he doesn't have the speed to keep up with those with with these horses he's a he's a he's speed he's a he's a route speed type i he'll if he tries to if he tries to go to the lead here he'll be last he'll end up last
1: yeah, I didn't say he'll go wire to wire, but I do think he'll be on the lead. I, I think he's certainly fast enough to go that first quarter half with this field. Um, and, you know, Mr. Freeze typically is is content to stock a pace if they're going fast up front, as is Vacoma and endorsed. So it seems like they're all going to let Warriors Charge go to the lead. I don't think they'll give him an easy lead, but I don't, I think they'll be content to let him grab the lead and I'm sure that will be the strategy with him. So I think it'll be an honest pace, but it's not going to be that, you know, like the year that um honor code won when private zone, you know, went crazy fast and early and then the race completely fell apart and honor charge just flew past the field. I don't think you'll see anything like that um on Saturday. Um but with all that being said though, to me mackenzie is clearly the horse to beat and he did run that clunker but that was at in saudi and he's run a clunker before a couple of years ago at churchill i think when the i think maybe it was a stephen foster or something i don't know it was some race in the fall and then he came back and and blitzed them in the um malibu of and and to me his last race was just a prep for this i mean he hadn't sprinted for two years that was clearly just to tune him up for this and you get bob baffert at belmont park on a big day with mike smith on board in a race he could have won yesterday and uh, yesterday last year and uh, what i'd say was probably as good a, a field as this so to me he's the one to be i agree honor i mean code of honor i always get that name mess, messed up is definitely a contender and you know he looked good in his comeback and shig's horses are all running and but he's going to be pretty far back he's i think mckenzie will get the jump on him i'm just not sure he can run past mckenzie late i'm not as high on Vakoma as steve is um to me his last race he's going to regress off that either it was slop aided and he'll regress because it won't be sloppy um tomorrow, or it was just a a monster effort and he's going to regress off that anyway, especially with his run. I, we talked about this before his last race, his funky style with that big paddling action, you know, that typically makes a horse more prone to injury off of big efforts um, because their body just takes stress in an, an unnatural way. And so if he ran really big, I would, I think he's going to regress and sometimes they run one more good race, but I'm going to be against Vacoma until he has some time off. And so, you know, I'm planning for him to regress. So of the, the big three Vacoma McKenzie code of honor, I'm going to toss Vacoma uh, in my pick five. I'm going to key on McKenzie and then I'll have to include code of honor. And I probably will include Mr. Freeze, although I, um, And just because he's run some races that could win this, his best races fit. I'm not sure exactly what kind of trip he's going to get in here, but he drew a pretty good post. And and I just would hate to leave him off because if one of the speed horses does hold on, I think it would be him. So, But I'm really thinking McKenzie is the one to beat in here. And um, that's the horse that I'll lean heavily on in the pick five.
0: I'm going to agree with Mackenzie, and he will be my top pick. The thing about a horse like Mackenzie, and uh, and what I mean by that is like a fast horse. Um, he, there are certain horses that run big numbers on the sheets. That it's they're lucky if they can repeat two of them in a row, and if they do, they need plenty of space before them. Now, coming into this race last year, McKenzie was coming off his all-time best, which he had plenty of rest into the race, so he still ran great, and he he almost won it. And I, I agree on that prep. I mean, like, unless he's just lost it, and the only reason to think that he might have lost it is because he ran terrible in Saudi Arabia, but, but you know, who wouldn't be a little uh, queasy after a trip all the way over there? Um So, so yeah. To me, he's he's sort of almost a single in this pick five, and I think that Vakoma is going to regress, and I think Code of Honor may regress as well because when they run the a big race uh, off, when they run a big race on the slop, and it's clearly their best figure, which Code of Honor's was, they often regress, and I, I think he still may have another one in him. So he could, you know, he could actually improve on that race. Vacoma is a horse that I would be against just like Chris because he ran a giant number and he's carrying that 123. So you know, he's not as accomplished as Code of Honor and McKenzie. Um, I would consider using Mr. Freeze and I still have a little bit of uh, love for network effect. That was disappointing his last race where I, I loved him and, but. You know, he got second to Vakoma, who was freaking in the slot, and maybe he still has one in him. I still have to do a little bit more handicapping. And and Warrior's Charge, you know, he's a little slow, but scares me because any horse that wins as often as he does, trained by Brad Cox and shipping to New York with Florent Giroux, uh, I, I don't know what to do with him, but I... I I wouldn't underestimate him. I, I think he could run a very big race because he may be better sprinting than all those two turn races he's been running at. He's by Munnings. So, so, uh, so I, I'm probably going to single McKenzie and try to use Mr. Freeze network effect and warriors charge in some way. Steve, anything to add?
2: Yeah, the one horse that none of us really had much uh, to say uh, anything about was endorsed. and, I don't know. He 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 hung in. He hung in against Code of Honor in the Westchester, and I uh, I, I'm just I'm surprised that uh, surprised how focused all of our all of our opinions are here. I I uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, I I certainly wouldn't. I would worry less about a reaction from Code of Honor than I would uh, a reaction from Bacoma. Uh, Code of Honor you know, first time four-year-old in that Westchester, uh, just his natural development from three to four as a son of Noble Mission, uh, that that was a, you know, that figure, it, Scott, you, you know, talking about uh, career bests, you're talking about a career best on, on thoroughgraph, for instance, but it, it's right in line with you know with his development curve and, and how he's progressing and frankly the way Shug operates. Uh, so I'm not really worried about uh coat of honor going backwards. You know, Vacoma, v- I- I'm not that worried about the you talk about the, you know, that that left front leg of his. It, it, he he was not as he was not as uh as active with that leg uh a- as he had been as a three year old and he 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 seemed a little a little more fluid in that carter performance i uh i understand the i understand the concerns but i uh i'm pretty comfortable with him coming coming back here and and running another a race
1: i would agree that code of honor is a lot more likely to run well than bacoma off of those last two just like you said, he has more upside and, you know, it was, and the train, given the trainer and it wasn't nearly as fast as the Vacoma race. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you there. I I'm going to toss Vacoma, but I'm, I'm definitely going to use code of honor. I have a lot of respect. The horse is, is a, it's a nice horse, good connection. So he's kind of hard to leave off the ticket.
0: All right, we have two more races to go, and they're both good ones, so we'll move to the 10th. It's the Manhattan Stakes, a grade one, mile and a quarter on the inner turf, a purse of 400,000 for four-year-olds and up. Chris, what did you think?
1: Uh, This, to me, is definitely a wide-open race, probably the most wide-open, for sure, of all the ones we've talked about. Um, I have two horses I like, one, both are sort of echoing things Um, related to what steve has said today or actually um things i've heard on his show in the past Uh, the two horses i like are the three cross border and the eight spooky channel the eight spooky channel i like quite a bit um he's definitely a horse who his his sweet spot are the is the longer races and i really like the fact that they prepped in a a shorter race a salty allowance at churchill was really kind of a stakes caliber field and he had some trouble and still won at at the shorter distance and now he stretches back out to the distance that he likes and um brian lynch has been pretty hot and the show that steve talked about that he had lynch on and he had lynch on Uh, right after admission office, who'd won, it was another horse I liked quite a bit. And I had liked him going into his last race when he won. He spent a lot of time saying how much he thought spooky channel was really good. And when they're talking about admission office, you know, he was making it sound like he thought spooky channel was on par with admission office, or at least pretty close. And he wanted to keep them separated. Um, so, you know, I, I expect to see spooky channel run really well, and he might get completely overlooked in this field at 15 to one so he's definitely one i think could blow up the pick five or the cross country pick five that this is a a a part of and then cross border you know steve talked about you know how the the turf has been playing to speed and there's uh races where we've had horses that look like they're going to clear early well to me cross border looks like he's going to clear early and kind of dictate things up front he's shown that He's a pretty good horse when he can dictate the pace. Um, He did get run down by Spooky Channel at Gulfstream. But, um, you know, this is a different race. And Mike Maker is always dangerous. His horses seem to always fire. And he's another horse that could get overlooked in here because you have three Chad Browns that are going to take a lot of money. And this is, again, another race where I don't think the Chad Browns stand out in any way. So to me, this kind of race where you try to beat chat the chads and make this is where you can really make some money on the pick five if you can beat those horses and catch someone like spooky channel or cross border so that's the way i see this race
0: well i think we're pretty much oh uh, it's actually not my turn uh it's steve's turn what did you think steve
2: you know this is a this is a funny edition of the manhattan Uh, and and I suppose it's by virtue of the, you know, the division itself is is sort of lacking uh, star power, Uh, but, you know, you win a grade one and and suddenly you're a star. Uh, (laughs) Chris brought up a great element to a race like this when you talk about distance and not every marathon grass stake not every one is alike. Uh, there's a big difference between a mile and a half, a mile and three ace and a mile and a quarter. And, you know, horses that, you know, that are successful, you know, going a little shorter, uh, they may not, and, and instilled regard is probably the horse to to point out as an example of this, that, that two to one, that's the kind of question you want to ask yourself. Uh, is he going to be effective you know, going the mile and a quarter, and you know he's only tried once before, and that was in uh, in Florida at the uh, Pegasus. But it, it just feels like you can you can trade off of that question and look for some other options. Uh, and I, I'm glad you brought up Spooky Channel. Uh, Spooky Channel got a little bit of a you know a little bit of a a, a class relief. Uh, on paper anyway, in that allowance race at Churchill that we talked about with Brian. This is a horse that going back to late last year, there there was real, you know, there was a, a real buzz. Marty McGee, in fact, was the first person to identify, uh, you know, what he thought was huge upside with Spooky Channel and it kind of had followed him since. He, he seems to be a horse that invites Trouble. He's one of these horses that you know finds himself in in traffic. Uh, and Julian Leperu comes with him. And Brian has also explained he's not the easiest horse to ride. So having you know having his regular familiar pilot uh, gives you a little bit of confidence. And and certainly at the price, he's a horse that you know I, I I'm I'm going to use somewhere. Sadler's Joy is a personal favorite, and you usually always get a run from him. Uh, he's a little bit camera shy, uh, but. Uh, you know, Sadler's Joy, if if any kind of a pace would happen to materialize, you know, he'll have a, a chance to run them down. Uh, the Chad horses, uh, as I said, instilled regard. I got a bit of a question. This might be the opportunity for both Rock Emperor to break through in North America and then you got Devamani, who has been very consistent. And uh, I think uh, a horse that, you know, uh, you look at his record going 10 furlongs on the grass and and that, you know, that, around that distance, he he's been successful regularly. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to go honestly. And I, I, I'm probably, I have not officially made a, a, a decision and this is the kind of race that I'll, I'll make a decision in the morning when I write the selections up and put it up on the website. Uh, but my inclination is, is to go for one of the, one of the Chad prices, a Devamani or rock emperor. And if I had to, you know, get pinned down right now, I would probably say Devamani, uh, and, and Rosario has a lot to do with it. Rosario, Rosario is uh, a, a very good decision making, you know, fulcrum. He, he I, I find myself, you know, opting with him, you know, when I, when I come down to, uh, having to make decisions. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to end up probably five, eight, two, four, uh, when it, when I write this up tomorrow.
0: Well, it's uh, it's a very interesting race. I I did agree with Chris. I actually, well, first of all, I think the race is wide open. So I agree with you on that. I also agree on Spooky Channel. He's my top pick. I thought he was incredibly game winning the McKnight, where he was four wide the entire trip, and he still pulled that out. I mean, ah. that was that was that was a hell of a race, and he's run three solid races since, including winning his last, uh, which not- noted Chris that it was at a shorter distance and 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 this horse he's more of a marathoner, and he's eight for fifteen on the turf, so I think he's uh, he, he's 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 clearly my top pick, but I also think Cross Border is also very dangerous, so those were my two top picks. Uh, cross-border is just about as fast as any of these. I did write down that this might be an all-race, but when push comes to shove, I guess I would lose instilled regard, even though he's been uh, he's been beating me on turf because I've been going against him over and over again, and he still keeps on winning. Um, but a little easier to lose him, a little easier to lose Devani. The Rock Emperor, I, I don't know, you might have to convinced me. Uh, he's he's only one for seven at the distance, so maybe that's uh, a reason to toss him. But I, I like the look of his line, so I would be inclined to use Rock Emperor. And the rest, I think they all have a shot. Um, They've all run numbers that are close enough that they can, Sadler's Joy, yeah I can't get excited at seven to two, but if he goes off higher, for some reason he's forgotten about, then uh, I would use him. So I, I would go deep in this race and I've been talking about going deep in a lot of these races. I may not be able to play the pick five because I may be going too deep.
1: Yeah, I I mean, you you can see just based on what we've all said, this is a very competitive race. Sadler's Joy tends to get bet, so I'd be surprised if he you know isn't bet in here as well. I think you know mile and a quarter is probably a little too short for him. He doesn't like to win anyway, so it's hard to see him winning even at a distance shorter than he likes in a race without a lot of pace. So to me, the distance, pace, um, all seem to work against him. So I think he's an underlay. doesn't mean he couldn't win because, like you said, you can make a case for every horse in this race. But this is where I think because it's sort of chalky and the other legs, this is one of the two legs in this pick five where they get a price. And I think, you know, you, you if you, if you spread in here – and don't get a price and it chalks out, you know, you end up losing money on it if you cash. So you got to take a stand somewhere if you want to make money. This might be the race to do it and just go with some of the prices and throw out some of the favorites like Saddler's Joy and Instilled Regard. Um, and this is your chance maybe to, to hit something with a price.
0: Yeah, Saddler's Joy is only one for 11 at Belmont. So that's another um, negative for him. It,
2: it, He's a horse, though, that that is always going to be dependent on on how fast they go up front. And it it, it he's it, you know, he's like a he's like a billiard, a billiards horse that, you know, three banks, the it's everything's got to kind of fall into place. Uh, but you, you you can pretty well count on him coming with his run. Uh, it, it's a question of how much pace uh, he's going to get. And there is there is. Uh, just enough hints here between dot matrix, uh, and, and cross border. There's just enough hints that, you know, there's going to be some, some pace and some pace prompting to keep this thing honest. Uh, so yeah, just a, a, a cautionary, a cautionary element about being, you know, a, a too liberal, you know, throwing out a horse like Sadler's joy. Uh, I, I, and I, I, Chris, I, I, I don't agree about uh, about trying to take stands in, in the multi-race side of things. I mean, if, if you're, if you're putting together a serious approach and, you know, we touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the conversation, I, I, I see some converse I see some points uh, made on that. And people saying, Oh, I, I'm not going to use the favorite here. What, what do you mean? You're, you're trying, you're trying just to get through legs and you, if you're putting together big tickets and and you're investing you know fairly significantly and and there's certainly a minimum you have to invest in pick fours pick fives and and pick sixes you you can't you can't say oh I'll let the favorite beat me that that's not the objective of of the multi race wager the the objective is to just get through legs and put yourself in position for, you know, as, as good a score as possible. So I, I, I don't, I don't like that approach. And I've, I've heard, I've heard some people and I've heard some people, you know, in positions, uh, you know, as, as, you know, as co- commentators and so forth say that. And I, I, it hits my ear funny because I, you know, as somebody that, that you know, is, is a big believer in in what Steve Christ uh, talks about at exotic betting. You're just, you're looking to get through and make sure that a winner is on every leg of the ticket. And if the favorite or, you know, a couple of the lower priced favorites on the line are, are horses that can win you, you can't toss them. It, it, it doesn't, it's doesn't make sense.
0: Steve, uh, if
1: if
0: it's okay for me to jump in just really quick, I I want you to know that now that you've said that on the pod, it's time to zero in on cross border and Spooky Channel because (laughs) after taking a stand like that, you know Chris is going to end up being right on this race. Which is fine. I I don't –
1: and whether – even if I am, this is a really good discussion, and I don't disagree with what you said, Steve, but it depends on the other legs, so – if I had really live long shots in other legs, then I totally agree with what you said. But right now, I'm kind of thinking it's going to be very chalky in most of the other legs. So, you know, if you just play, if you spread and multiple races and it chalks out, that's not a, a path to long term success. So it depends on what you think about your opinions are in the other legs. And this just happens to be a sequence where. I'm kind of on favorites like McKenzie and Scott Stormy. And we haven't got to the next race, but I'm on a favorite there as well. So, you know, I to me, if I'm going to play the pick five, I have to have a couple races where um, I'm going to catch something other than a favorite. And this this is just a leg where I think that can happen. And if I spread out in it, and you're right, say Sadler's Joy and still regard win. It's not going to pay anything if I'm right, because on the other legs, I'm on favorites. That's all. So, I mean, it is a complicated topic.
0: No, fair enough. Uh, I have two points to make on that. Uh, the first is that a friend of mine who listens to the pod, who's not on Twitter or anything, or uh, he might be, but he's he's he doesn't make much noise. Um, he, he has complained to me <laughs> about Chris and I saying, hey, you got to use this horse. His, his whole argument is, no, you don't have to. In fact, if you think it's going to chalk out, then just don't play the sequence because, um, you know, he said his, his, his idea was that you shouldn't be afraid to lose the pick five. Like, you can play the pick five and lose it, and it's okay. It's not going to be the end of the world if you lose it. Uh, and if you lose it and you've only invested... Say 100 to 200 dollars, or you know, less than 100. Whatever your bankroll is, it, it's not that bad. Um The other thing is, I'm I'm reminded of the Inside the Pylons podcast with Jason Beam, and he made he made a a really good point that has stuck with me. He said, "Imagine if you you were looking at this race, just win, place, and show, or just win. Would you bet if there are three horses?" Four horses, would you bet four horses to win? No. I mean, you, especially if a couple of them are favorites because you might lose money on it. And and like if you apply that to theory to the pick five, then it, it begins to uh, become an inefficient bet.
2: I, and I, and I'll disagree uh, vehemently uh, it, it, the the ABC method uh, that you know the Steve Chris exotic betting method you you can do both you you can have the opinion and you can utilize more than one horse or two horses if if you are concerned about a sequence that is is chalking out well okay so go two by one by two by two Two by one and hit it for twenty dollars. If if that's your concern, and you weave in a couple backup tickets that that then you know protect you in a couple of spots where there may be a price that invades you. You know the, these fifty cent increments are your are your friend, and nothing says that when you spread in one of those legs that every single ticket has to be uh, just a 50, just a 50 cent denomination and whatever, whatever your sequence is two by five by three by one by four, it it, it doesn't have to be one ticket. You can make several tickets. You can make your prime play for a dollar 50. You can make a, a, a ticket that, you know, weaves in a a couple of, of potential long shots. You can do play that for a dollar or for 50 cents. I, I mean, you, you, this isn't a one-dimensional opportunity. You, you have all kinds of approaches that are at your disposal. And so, you are know, trying to trying to pigeonhole this into, this is the right way. It, 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 that's just nonsense. It's complete nonsense.
0: Well, I, I, I mean, I agree with you that there's certainly no absolute way. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we, as Chris said, we can run a whole series of podcasts on the Pick 5 and I actually aspire to be doing that someday, uh, something I'm I'm calling the Pick 5 Project. And it'll probably never happen, but um, could happen. Uh, Certainly worth its own pod completely. But because we have uh, only so much time and people only have so much time to listen to these pods, uh, let's move on to the 11th race, which is the Suburban Stakes, a grade 2, mile and a quarter on dirt, Purse of two hundred thousand for four year olds and up, and Steve, the last race is yours to begin.
2: Uh, th- this is this is a race that features uh, a lightning rod horse, in Tacitus, and uh, boy, if he if he can't win this, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, they they <laughs> they're going to be tearing their hair out. Uh, you know he has run well at times. And I don't know, I don't know what puts him over the top and gets him back to his three-year-old glory days, but this is a talented horse. Uh, He's a horse that runs uh, races that, you know, that can win uh, a grade two like this at the mile and a quarter distance. Uh, I, 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 I'm of the belief I'm not a fan and I'm not a, uh, somebody that beats up on Tacitus either way. Uh, but I have a feeling that, uh, this is going to be his, his best opportunity to break through and beyond Tacitus. Mr. Buff is obviously the horse that you have to make some decisions about, uh, mile and a quarter is, is going to be a new experience. Uh, but he's certainly a horse that, you know that can lope along and and attend a pace uh if he runs anything close to what he what he's run in the Haynesfield and in some other new york company uh he's he's a major player uh and i also thought that just whistle had a look in here at 8 to 1 that i i i put a little dollar sign by uh you know coming in off of an uh, uh, excellent race down in florida uh, just whistle the horse that by all rights, I mean, he has tried a mile and a quarter, going back to the Pimlico Special, and he he actually was moving late uh, in in that Pimlico Special. I was watching that from the from the roof uh, at Pimlico that day when when Tenfold won, but I I, I thought if you're looking for a a price option, he was the right one. But I I really want to lean heavily uh, on on Tacitus in here. Uh, he's a a strong A for me, uh, Moretti the kind of a kind of a, an other type in here as well, you know, with just have a kind of, kind of a C feel for, for Moretti, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to be leaning heavily on Tacitus. All
0: right. This is uh this is Tacitus' big Tacitus's big moment because he will be favored. I mean, it looks like he's going to be favored. Sure. And this is what everybody's waiting for. So, uh, put up or show up, or, uh, Put up or shut up, Tacitus. <laughs> not not that he's uh making a lot of noise. Chris, what did you think?
1: Well, I'm just going to echo and reinforce what Steve said. Um, to me, Tacitus was born for this race at Belmont Park. He has a really long stride. If you look at the track of data for his last race, which was much, much better than it looked, he was incredibly wide throughout in that race. His stride. Um, uh, the length per stride was just massive. And those big sweeping turns at Belmont are just made for his kind of stride. You know, 10 furlongs is just made for his kind of, for his breeding. And he draws the rail on a race that starts on the turn. So at least he can save ground early. And then they have plenty of time on the backside for Johnny V to put him wherever he wants him to make sure he gets a clean run. Um, he can give up a little ground on that second turn because he can save all the ground in the first turn. Um, and this is a horse that's kind of notoriously a bad workhorse. I remember he was getting really dissed before the Tampa Bay Derby last year because he got just thrashed by hidden scroll and some workouts. And I, I caught him at a pretty good price in the Tampa Bay Derby that day. And he's just working lights out now. And, you know, that race in Saudi wasn't great but that was a prep for the Dubai world cup. That was really their target a mile. and a That's quarter. true. And that, that got canceled. You know, that was Mott with a target and then that, that changed their plans. His last race was clearly a prep for this. And that, like I said, was he had trouble in that race. He was incredibly wide. He actually ran. Uh, if you figure if in ground loss, he would have won the race by a length or two. Um, so that was better than it looked um, to me. You know, this is going to be his breakout race. The only way he could lose is if Mr. Buff gets loose and he can get a mile and a quarter because, you know, speed's always dangerous. And so if if nobody puts pressure on, on him early, you know, maybe he gets brave and can go 10 furlongs. I, I don't think he's as good as Tacitus, but, you know, that's, that's the one way I could see he could get beat. I don't see anybody else beating Tacitus in here. I just really expect this to be kind of his jaw-dropping performance. I think he's had legitimate excuses in most of his poor efforts. And he's not like he's the horse that finds trouble. He's had trouble find him. And so if he does, maybe maybe my opinion will change in this race. We'll wait and see. But um, to me, he's clearly a standout in here. And Mr. Buff is maybe the one you've got to use defensively um, just because of the danger and speed. The only other horse I'm kind of interested in as a kind of a clunk up, um, if if Mr. Buff uh, gets tired and it's kind of wide open behind him, is the three horse forewarned, who will be a monster price. And his numbers actually are as good as anything else in the race. And he is a horse that will be closing late. And this trainer ha- and this jockey have scored some monster Price horses in New York stakes races before, so you know that forewarned might be the way to get some money in the verticals underneath. Tacitus is used forewarned if you play exactas and tries and hope he gets in there. Um, but to me, in the hor- in the horizontals, you you know Tacitus is the way to go.
0: All right. Well, <clears throat> I don't hate Tacitus, but I don't also think that this is going to be his crowning race. I mean. Uh, there are a few negatives, so I, I I wouldn't be like I'm playing against Tacitus. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. However,
2: I found a way to run.
0: <laughs> hey, that was interesting. That that's what happens when you're uh, doing a podcast with another podcaster. Um. So, so yeah, a couple things about Tacitus. He's carrying a, a extra weight. There's one horse that's carrying more than him, so he's carrying a little extra weight. He's 0 for 3 at Belmont and he's 0 for 4 at the distance. So just something to keep in mind. Because I everybody's been talking about how he needs the mile and a quarter, and yet he still hasn't won at it. No, he he has won 1.6 million at a mile and a quarter. So I'm just I'm just putting out the caveats there. I'm not I'm not saying like I'm against Tacitus. Um, I, I think the race is pretty open. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be riding a single into Tacitus. That's 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 all I'm saying. Uh, the horse that I would concur with Chris that has a shot is the three, forewarned. warned. Um, this horse, his fastest race last year was at a mile and a quarter in the Mahoning Valley, at Mahoning Valley racetrack, the Ohio Endurance Stakes. And he has a circle back pattern now coming back to that. And he's five years old and, This trainer has proved that he can get a horse to run as an older horse. Um, Witnessed Discreet Lover winning the Jockey Club Gold Cup at 40 something to to one. So I I would say, if there, I know there are people who listen to this pod who uh, they listen to our opinions and they sometimes will act on a certain thing, like a certain certain thing that we say. Well, the thing I'm going to say is that I wouldn't do this pick five without forewarned included i'm not saying he's a definite win but he's got a a hell of a shot and uh, you know i might do something like just use him in tacitus i i'm not sure i mean i i I haven't had time to handicap and watch all the replays but but this horse is he he's he's going to make some noise and uh, there's no reason for him not to make noise i mean he he's got a very positive pattern so that's really the only opinion I have in the race that you have to use him somehow. The rest, uh, I think, I think it's a case could be made for almost all of them. So, so I'll leave it at that. Anything
1: to add, Steve?
2: Not really. Uh, I, we do love Uriah St. Lewis. It's a great story. And, uh, he, he he's absolutely capable. I uh, mean, fore, forewarned would have to run a career best you know, and that's that's kind of the problem that that anybody in here other than Mr. Buff and Tacitus, uh, that's what they you know that that's the issue that they, any of them have. I mean, Moretti's going to have to run a career best. Just Whistle would have to run a career best. Jovia, you know, it is. It, by the way, we haven't we we're talking about this race, and we haven't mentioned that we've got the you know the one two three finishers from last year's Belmont uh, involved here, which is kind of fun. Uh, that that Sir Winston Tacitus and Jovia all uh, reunite uh, in the nightcap uh, tomorrow. So uh, good race, but I, I, I kind of I I kind of would like to see Tacitus get that elusive victory that uh, that he's been searching for since last year's Wood Memorial.
0: All right. Anything else to add, Chris? No. I just.
1: What we're all saying is be forewarned. up <laughs> shot. Ba-dum, bump. <laughs> all right. But it is interesting that the top three from the Belmont, that was a good Belmont for me, too. I, I catch pretty well and I, I gave out Sir Winston on the pod, in fact. So that was a nice a job. Nice fond job. Fond memory.
0: All right. Any other plays on the rest of the card, guys? No, I think we've covered it for me.
2: I will mention. I will mention that early in the day victory in the victory ride uh, I I know that Frank's Rocket uh, could get the day rolling for Bill Mott and uh, has got a huge advantage on the pace front. I I thought that Reagan's Edge, Cherie DeVos' filly uh, uh, has a look in here and I could really you know just sit off uh, I I think Jose Lascano to impact the race at uh at all is going to have to stay in close contact with Frank's rocket. Uh, but I think it's not uh impossible either. So I'm, I'm going to play uh, I'm going to play around with uh with the 3 in the third Reagan's edge 8 to 1.
0: All right, take a second look at Reagan's edge everybody. Uh I would like to thank our guest Steve Bick. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time right after your own show to handicap with us.
2: My pleasure. Uh, delighted uh, and of course the two of you uh uh so prominent on the on the contest scene uh, and I, I suppose there's a contest victory for for either of you that's in the offing to get you on uh, in the morning to get you on at the races uh for one of our nhc one of our nhc qualifier visits on wednesdays so get to work uh get to work on the contests
0: all right we we'll, we will do that Uh, That will conclude show number 70 of the PH Pod. Have a great Met Mile Day, and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout.
1: I'll see you on the Sport of Kings. Cheers.